today, I'd like you to turn with me to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Pastor Connie makes the case for an element of worship, a secret ingredient that transformed the early church, performing signs and wonders and drawing thousands into a relationship with Jesus. Let's listen together. I come to you very humbly today with a topic that is far beyond my scope of expertise and knowledge. Worship. I confess up front that I've been having trouble worshiping lately. My attention span has shortened. I blame a year on screen rather than in person for that. My focus is on and then it's off again and then it's I have to drag myself back on. My motivation is up and down, all of which I feel I need in order to worship well. Worship is just not the same sitting on my bed, watching our big screen with Elena and Robert, rather than in the sanctuary with the rest of the body of Christ at Altadena Baptist Church. The singing is not the same as a full sanctuary participation, and that kind of singing usually is a tremendous help to me in worship. The preaching is not the same, and especially when I'm the preacher, you should know by now that I preach first and foremost to myself as being the most needy of us all and then to anyone else. But coming from the screen is so different. I guess I'm saying that today I find myself feeling my need to worship. I need to express my love to God from me to him directly I need to feel, to experience, to know his presence in return. And for that connection to happen, sometimes I need help. Many times, most times, now being one of them. So I'm doubly thankful today that we get to check out the first church through the lens of worship to see what help they can give us now these millennia later. This sermon is for me. And... For you who are feeling that need to worship our wonderful God in a way that honors him. We are in a sermon series entitled The Newborn Church, in which we are looking at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. We will start today with Acts chapter 2, verse 43 through 47, paying particular attention to the description of worship. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. The absolute necessity for the Holy Spirit in worship hits us over the head in the book of Acts. In the birth of the church, the connection to the Spirit was upfront and visible. Signs and wonders refer to miraculous healings and visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit, probably most uh, notably speaking in tongues. An abundance of signs and wonders will result in awe 
of course, as our passage says. But they don't always result in faith. I know a couple of dramatic, miraculous answers to prayer in the name of Jesus, in which the recipients acknowledged the miracle, but did not then turn to Jesus in belief. So the presence of the Holy Spirit does not automatically produce faith. People can, and they do, reject the Spirit. But we cannot have faith without the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. If we are to worship God, the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Now, some of you have witnessed signs and wonders, outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I know that I have witnessed a few over the years, and I know that I have prayed for a whole lot more. But the interior, invisible work of the Holy Spirit is awe-inspiring to me. The Holy Spirit turning our hearts towards God. The Holy Spirit's witness to us of the reality of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit bringing home to our soul the presence of Jesus in a way that we can be assured of and the way that we can know him. The initial opening of our eyes to faith, the initial gift of belief in Jesus Christ, and then the growth of faith. This is all the miraculous, wondrous, inner, hidden work of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot worship without the involvement and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Facilitating, leading, comforting, healing, convicting, illuminating, that's all the work of the Spirit in our lives. And in fact, if we have a picture of worship at all, it should be of us leaning on the Holy Spirit or maybe even being carried by the Holy Spirit into the presence of God. Holy Spirit-empowered worship is the only hope we have of connecting with God. Do you mind if we just pause right now and humbly, expectantly, eagerly ask the Holy Spirit to empower our worship? Let's just bow our heads. And you can open your hands if you want to symbolize with your body that expectant attitude of relying on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you empower our worship today? Thank you. Well, the next thing we see in the new church is community, the sheer amount of togetherness time. This new, joyful, believing community gathered together every day. There really is no such thing as a solo Christian. And the part of virtual worship that I think has been hard on us is the individuality of it, the physical absence of community. Sometimes community life can be very aggravating, as we may have experienced. We create friction for each other every once in a while, and the New Testament is very open about that. But we've just had a year-long experiment 
without the physicality of community. And it has been a tremendous challenge. In my pre-pandemic life, I had a fix, a natural fix when I had the worship blues. I was so helped spiritually by gathering for corporate worship in a habitual and systematic way on Sunday mornings and then midweek for Bible study and prayer. That corporate body worship really carried me, supported me, helped me. I could lean on the natural worshipers in our congregation. And I can think of several people. I don't want to name names because then I'm going to leave someone out. But really, it came to me that Joe Wilson was one of those, wasn't she? Were you ever encouraged by her example as I was? Or maybe you can think of others. I loved hearing the choir sing. They could take us practically to the pearly gates sometime. And then if J Jacob Baldelomar was dancing in the aisle while singing and several adults that I know of dancing, or if someone had their hands raised or someone had their eyes shut in prayer or in song, or if someone started to cry as they were leading us in worship and it wasn't always me, if many of us were kneeling or other people were physically involved in worship around me, that helped me to worship. The individual, without the ongoing continual connection to the body of Christ, can only go so far, can only grow so far, and for our purposes today, can only worship so far. We need each other if we're going to worship higher and wider and longer and deeper. It's in belonging to each other in unity that we together can bring an offering of praise to God that I can't do by myself alone. Someone said the privatized worship of the individual finds its completion in the public worship of a larger worshiping community. Community worship is a two-way blessing. The songs of others, the words of others, the praise of others all encourage my spirit and spur me onward and upward in worship. And secondly, with others around me and beside me, we are together able to offer God a gift of worship that is befitting his greatness. Notice that in our passage, in the new church, worship spills out into everyday life. Time spent in the temple is mentioned, and we can see that being worship. But then time spent eating together in the home with glad and generous hearts. That also is worship. The Hebrew mindset doesn't allow us to separate the spiritual from the physical. The human person is an indivisible unity or totality. Worship is not just bringing our spirit before God, not just connecting on a spiritual level, but rather bringing our body into worship as well, bringing our mind into worship, bringing our whole life into worship. Worship involves the whole person and the whole environment as well. So there's no dichotomy between sacred and secular, as if worship can only happen when we're in church or when we're praying. Someone said work, play, and worship are all sacred activities under the rule of a sovereign God. 
And this means that we are free to worship God with intellect, emotions, personality, senses, and body. We are free to worship when we're exercising or when we're driving, when we're doing chores, hiking in nature, or lying on the beach, eating dinner with others, doing life. We are free to worship in all the spaces of our life. So yes, I have visceral, visual memories of great corporate worship at ABC where I knew that I was experiencing a connection with God, but it didn't happen every single Sunday. It wasn't the whole entire worship service, right? There was a lot of mundane and daily and ordinary needed in there as well. And yet this too also, the mundane, the ordinary, the daily, is also a part of our worship. Of course worship isn't just music and a sermon. Of course worship isn't just a feeling. And worship isn't what happens just in a sanctuary on a Sunday morning. True worship the turning of our souls to God in praise and in thankfulness, the connecting of God to us and ourselves to God is done in spirit and in truth. As Jesus told the Samaritan woman by the well, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Worship is essentially internal, a matter of the heart and spirit rooted in the knowledge of and obedience to the revealed word of God. So I greatly appreciate Sunday morning sanctuary worship, but some of my very best worship over the years has occurred when I'm out in nature. Preparing a sermon has been for me an act of worship through the years. And sometimes an act of service for someone else can be worshipful for me too. And you will think in your own life, in the ordinary daily aspects of life, of times when you turn to God in worship. That's worship too. When we're going about life and when we consciously, intentionally turn to God in prayer, when our hearts are glad and generous, and then take that upward turn into thanksgiving, when the goodness of God washes over us in the daily activities of life, this too is worship. The one thing we don't have in this detailed account of the early church in Acts, what is glaringly missing is a formula for worship, a format to follow, a style of worship. We know some of the elements involved. We know that music and praying and proclamation are mentioned, but we don't know what style of music or what order of worship. And the church has had worship wars where we get attached to a style of worship. And then the next generation comes along and wants to worship differently. And that causes friction. We have in the past exported our cultural form of worship onto another culture. I remember how surprised I was in Ghana 
when we happened to be invited to a conference of choirs of all different churches, and they were all dressed in their choir robes, and they were performing for each other, and they were singing hymns. And I looked at that, and I couldn't imagine a conference like that in the United States, and yet all of that came from the West, from America. The reason we don't have a New Testament format baked into worship is because every generation and every culture is free to worship in a way that carries their hearts to God. And we don't all speak the same heart language. People who benefit from an unjust system don't want that system to change. We see that dynamic at work in our society today. In Acts, whenever the preaching of the gospel disrupted an economic system, the preacher was punished for it. And so I wanted to turn to Acts 16 to look at one of these events, which for me turns out to be a picture of worship. So Acts 16, starting in verse 16. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, and this is that pattern of daily prayer together as a community that we see so often in the pages of Acts. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Now let's think through that scenario. She was not lying. She was bringing attention to their message of salvation. And we might even think that the disciples were benefiting from this extra outside confirmation of their credentials. Verse 18. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. I think about this slave girl and her moment of freedom from the spirit which had controlled her for so long. What a tremendous gift that was to her. But not everyone was happy with it. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, the verse that follows, verse 25, is for me a perfect description of worship. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Can you worship God in prison? Can you worship when you are bruised and hurting? Can you worship when injustice is prevailing? Can you worship in grief? 
or when you're facing death or when all has gone wrong or when the future is insecure. So much about worship is naturally turning towards God out of a heart of praise and thanksgiving. But can you worship when you don't feel like it? Maybe a better question for us is, can you afford not to worship? Because worship turns a key in the heart and unlocks a whole new perspective. Worship opens channels of inner blessing and riches that otherwise we could not access. Worship in hard circumstances may be the very best gift of worship, the very best offering we can give God. Praise in the midst of pain. We continue in verse 26. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. This is worship that ends in salvation for the keepers of an unjust system to the praise of God. We are creation, unfulfilled without a connection to our creator. We experience the tension of wanting to worship with our whole selves, mind, body, and spirit. And yet sometimes, maybe many times, our head space or our soul space, or our emotional space, or our heart space, is occupied on other fronts. But when we bring ourselves, just as we are, consciously, to engage with God, that is a worship offering to God, worthy of who He is. Worship that is Holy Spirit-empowered, community-driven, life-engaging, honors God. Will you join me in worshiping together? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Jesus, the Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you now. We lift our praise as high to you as we can lift it. We praise you together with the whole congregation, together with your body all over the world. We praise you because you are awesome. We praise you because you are glorious. Once we start thinking about your faithfulness, we will not stop naming your goodness because one act of kindness leads to another. 
one act of grace leads to another. And we have been on the receiving end of your blessings day upon day upon day. You are so good to us and so good to all of your creation. We look forward with anticipation to see your salvation realized, accomplished one glorious day. We will continue praising you more perfectly in eternity. Our joy will be complete. But in the meantime, as we practice worship in this earthly life, we give you today this offering of praise from our heart and ask you to receive it as we honor you. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. As always, we'd like to invite you for this season to join us online at altadenabaptist.org public YouTube page every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for remote worship. All events are suspended right now, but if you need prayer, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. Again, we pray God's blessings on you this week.